This podcast was recorded on Wednesday, May 30th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Well, I think the liberals just lost every seat in B.C. That's Green Party leader Elizabeth May making an ominous prediction for the Liberals after the government announced it plans to buy Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain Pipeline and its expansion project. Ottawa says it will spend $4.5 billion to purchase the assets. But that doesn't include the construction costs of the expansion. Pull out your calculator, be prepared to have your mind blown. According to some experts, Ottawa could be on the hook for some 12 to $20 billion in spending. It's a political gamble that shook the country. Kinder Morgan surprise. Justin Trudeau makes one of the biggest bets of his political career. The news has sent ripples of controversy across our country, but perhaps is being most strongly felt right here in BC. His insistence on building this pipeline is, uh, is going to massively expand uh, emissions. I'm here on behalf of my people. My name is Col Salem. I'm one of the elected leaders of the Squamish Nation. The Squamish people do not want this pipeline. Detractors are not backing down. Federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was on Parliament Hill this week talking about civil disobedience as a way of blocking the project. I'm absolutely not condemning. I'm saying that I understand that people uh, use nonviolent uh, civil disobedience, people use uh, protests as a way to express their frustration. Alberta Premier Rachel Notley, however, was all smiles, saying Ottawa's investment means construction can finally begin. We are now on the path to getting full value for our energy resources. So, are taxpayers getting hosed, or is this the only way now to get an energy project built in Canada? I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. Today, we look at Ottawa's decision to pony up a lot of cash, your cash, my cash, for a controversial pipeline. Is this a feather in Justin Trudeau's cap or an albatross around his neck? Our favorite political analysts will join us to share their takes, but first we hear from BC Liberal MP Jonathan Wilkinson, the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of the Environment, BC's own Environment Minister George Heyman, and perhaps the big winner in all this, federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. To guarantee the summer construction season for the workers who are counting on it and to ensure the project is built to completion in a timely fashion, the federal government has reached an agreement with Kinder Morgan to purchase the existing Trans Mountain Pipeline and the infrastructure related to the Trans Mountain Expansion Project. This $4.5 billion investment represents a fair price for Canadians and for shareholders of the company and will allow the project to proceed under the ownership of a Crown Corporation. That was Finance Minister Bill Morneau on Tuesday morning. Morneau wasn't available to join us, so we asked Jonathan Wilkinson, the MP for North Vancouver and the Parliamentary Secretary, to the Minister for the Environment. The government announced this week that that it will be buying the assets uh, of Kinder Morgan Canada um, that relate to the existing uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline and, uh, and all of the 
associated pieces that relate to the expansion. It is, as, as you know, uh, a pipeline project that was approved by the federal government 18 months ago. It was approved by the province of British Columbia about 18 months ago. The proponent had spent about a billion dollars until it came to the conclusion that given the risks that had been imparted on the project, most particularly by the provincial government of John Horgan, um, that the, the, the risks associated with moving forward were simply too high for its shareholders to bear. That is not entirely surprising. If you uh, have spent any time in the business community, you uh, you would understand that uh, companies can't control political risk. Uh, and uh, the province of British Columbia had gone out of its way to try to use every tool in the toolbox to stop this project. The government thus negotiated with Kinder Morgan um, to come up with an arrangement that would allow us to move the project forward, and in particular allow us to move the project forward this summer, this construction season. And ultimately, the decision was taken that the best arrangement to do that was for the government to take over ownership of the assets on a short-term basis, to proceed with construction, uh, and to ensure that the project moves forward to completion and ultimately then is transacted back to the private sector. The short-term basis, though, that's the goal. You may actually, the government may actually end up holding it for a lot longer than that. Well, it's certainly possible. I mean, ultimately, it, uh, selling and buying requires both a you know a, a keen seller and a keen buyer. Um, the intention, though, of the government very clearly is to move this back to the private sector. You're an MP from British Columbia. How do you think this is going to sit well with your constituents? Well, I mean, you know, the first conversation that has gone on um, in British Columbia with respect to the pipeline has been um, whether there are important environmental issues that need to be addressed. And there certainly are people who feel very strongly that, that they do need to be addressed. There are others who feel very strongly that this pipeline needs to be built. And then there's the vast majority in the middle who want to ensure that their concerns have been thought about, considered, and and addressed in a substantive way by the government before the project proceeds. The argument I made to my constituents was that we spent enormous amounts of time thinking about the climate issue, about the issues around marine safety, um, that the Pan-Canadian framework accounts for the climate-related uh, considerations in the context of our plan to achieve the Paris targets, that the marine safety uh, elements of the Ocean's Protection Plan will ensure that, that shipping in the harbour going forward, all shipping in the harbour, is far safer than it has been in the past, and that there will be a, a big benefit in some respects to the harbour um, because of the measures that have been brought in to ensure the safety of, of this particular project. You know, infrastructure assets and governments owning infrastructure assets, particularly energy-related assets, is not unusual. If you look at the electricity grid in Canada, other than in Alberta, every province has a crown utility that owns the transmission infrastructure and the generating capacity. Um, that's very, very common. Uh, and that is an energy-related infrastructure series of assets. The early natural gas pipelines in Canada were actually built by the government and then transacted to the, to the private sector. So this is not entirely unprecedented, but this is a project that is in the national interest. This is a project that we believe needs to be constructed, and this is the best way to do it, and ultimately then transact back to the private sector. It may not be unusual that the government gets involved in these projects, um, but it has not always been uh, politically a winning formula. Like I think you just kind of mentioned the Trans-Canada Pipeline. John Diefenbaker got a majority government because of the Liberals' involvement in that pipeline. Mm. So it can be unpopular. It can be, but you know, at the end of the day, um, 
you know, my view is people should be involved in public policy to make the right decisions, not necessarily the politically advantageous ones. And I know that there are often times where you have to weigh both considerations. But I, I was on um, As It Happens with Carol Off last night, and, and she said, you know, is this all driven by the, the, uh, the election and the timing of the election? And I said to her, there is zero zero relationship between this decision and the election. And to be honest with you, if you've listened to most of the commentators, they would say, from a political perspective, we don't understand what the government is doing. You know, you have 18 seats in British Columbia and you only have four in Alberta. Um, At the end of the day, this is a public policy decision. Green Party leader Elizabeth May yesterday suggested that the Liberals are going to be completely wiped out of British Columbia because of this decision. Do you think you might lose at least a few seats because of it? Well, I think that that we will all have to work hard to explain um, the rationale behind this decision. It's obviously a high-profile decision. Um, But my view is that British Columbians, the vast majority, are very rational, thoughtful people. Um, And as long as the government can make its case uh, in a thoughtful and rational way, which I believe it can, I I think that, uh, that this decision is not going to have a significant negative impact. You know, often we, during the election time, we have this... uh saying we try to convince people that you know your vote really matters and i'm struck by hearing you speak you know would the government have spent 4.5 billion to buy this probably more like 12 or 13 billion maybe some people are even saying 20 billion to build this pipeline if the ndp green coalition government had not uh, taken office in british columbia well, I mean, yeah, th- this this whole issue is is the product of of Premier Horgan and Minister Heyman, um, supported by by Andrew Weaver, um, taking quite a different view and and taking quite a different view at at a very unusual time, right? I mean, in a country like Canada where you have uh, robust processes, we went through a federal review that included a number of additional steps that were implemented after this government came to power. It went through a provincial review and got provincial authorization. The proponent spent a billion dollars on a project, and then a new provincial government comes into power and tries to change the rules of the game after the game is over. You know, if you are an investor looking at making a major investment in Canada, and you see that, how do you ever have confidence that yes means yes? And so I think that that the, the provincial government has made a very big error in the context of, you know, thinking about the impact that this will have on investor confidence in British Columbia and investor confidence in Canada. It is important for Canada and for the Canadian economy moving forward that people can have confidence that yes actually means yes. I fail to understand how that's the case. I mean... The legal uncertainty remains. The federal court of appeal hasn't ruled. Uh, Mr. Horgan is still intends to fight this uh, every step of the way. He is not pulling his reference to the BC Superior Court. How how does this give anybody confidence that a yes means yes? It it gives people confidence that the federal government is confident in its jurisdiction. It is confident that it will be able to move the project forward. It is essentially said that this project is in the national interest, and we are willing to do. Even, even something that we probably none of us expected we would be doing two years ago in order to ensure that a project that is in the national interest gets built. I guess we will see. <laughs> I guess we will. Thanks very much. No problem. Jonathan Wilkinson is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of the Environment. Pipeline politics haven't always proven popular for the incumbent government. Here's a snippet of the Liberals' Trans-Canada Pipeline Gambit, courtesy of Historica Canada. When Saint Laurent called the election in 1957, 
the polls were predicting another liberal victory. But Canadians were not at all happy with the pipeline fiasco, and they now had a new hero to cheer. John Diefenbaker, the political sharpshooter, had been elected leader of the Conservatives, and the Liberals had given him a stack of ammunition. John Diefenbaker ended up winning that election campaign and formed a progressive conservative minority government. A year later, he would win the largest majority in Canadian history. While the current conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, didn't have much to say on the Kinder Morgan decision... Today, the Prime Minister is forcing Canadian taxpayers to pay for his failure. Trudeau had failed to create certainty in the energy sector and policies like the carbon tax and more stringent environmental review process were scaring new investors, Scheer said. The Tory leader is in a tough spot, with Alberta's Jason Kenney of the United Conservatives expressing tepid support for the Trudeau-Notley deal. In comparison, this federal leader senses political opportunity. Hi, my name is Jagmeet Singh. I'm leader of Canada's NDP. I really look at it as just a really sad example of the fact that this government doesn't really have leadership for the future. They're not thinking about where we should be headed to as a, as a country. Um, the fact that they, they have done this does give me an opportunity to, to reach out to people to show what our vision would be. And that my vision as leader is we've got to build a future, an economic future that's for today, but also includes a vision for tomorrow and where society is headed. I don't take any pleasure in it, but, but it's true. This is one of those moments where, where it's a contrast, like such a stark example of, of commitment to, to be a champion for the environment. During the campaign, you know, Justin Trudeau campaigned on that, talked about that. And we saw some examples, chinks in that armor. We saw the Environmental Commissioner come out and say, this government hasn't taken any significant steps to reducing emissions. But maybe it's harder to really to, to, to soak that in with an Environmental Commissioner's report. But now with this decision, this is a clear betrayal. There was a promise to end fossil fuel subsidies, but he's massively increasing it by like five times. It was 1.3 billion a year, and now a one-time $4.5 billion investment but that's just, that's just to purchase some old leaky pipelines. That doesn't even speak about the cost of building the new pipeline, which might be increasing the cost up to like $15 billion. So $15 billion potentially being invested in fossil fuels is just outrageous for a prime minister who held out to be a climate change leader. It's just egregious. Well, we know that there are a considerable number of people in Vancouver, and especially the west side of Vancouver, that are not in favor of this pipeline. That's Vancouver Quadra MP Joyce Murray commenting on whether the government's Kinder Morgan announcement has torpedoed her re-election bid. We asked Liberal MPs coming out of the party's caucus meeting Wednesday how this decision is playing out in their constituencies. I'm Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. I'm the Member of Parliament for Beaches East York. How do you think your constituents will respond to the government's announcement that they are purchasing a pipeline? So we have received, uh, I've not been back to the riding just yet uh, since the announcement was made. I know that we've received a number of uh, angry phone calls and emails in opposition. I don't know the extent of it. I know it's a, a high volume. Uh, but I also haven't spoken to a broader cross-section of the riding to understand where they're at. I know fundamentally the overriding concern 
is that we meet our obligations, our moral, generational, and international obligations to tackle climate change. And I think that's an overriding worry, regardless of whether someone's a progressive conservative in my riding, a liberal supporter, or an NDP supporter. And so to the extent that this project undermines those goals, I think that's a problem. If the project and the increased emissions from the project fall within our overarching framework, then I think my constituents will come around and support the idea. How do you personally feel about it? I would feel very much the same way. I mean, my worry right now is when we talk about the environment going hand in hand, great, but if we're all in on uh, the economy when it comes to a project like this, we have to similarly be all in on the environment and we're not yet on pace to meet targets. And even if we met those targets, those targets have no strong relation to the one and a half or two degree total obligation we have under the Paris commitment. So we have a long way to go to be as serious on the environment as we are currently on the economy. My name is Jeanette Fitzpatrick-Taylor and I'm the Minister of Health and also the Member of Parliament for Moncton Riverview, India. I'm going to be very uh, very honest with you personally in my riding of Moncton Riverview and Dieppe. It's not a topic that I hear of an awful lot when it comes to energy pro uh, projects. Uh, we certainly have some correspondence that's come in, but it's certainly not the bulk of my correspondence, correspondence at all, probably because I'm not perhaps in the vicinity of where um, the pipeline would have gone through. Uh, so to be very frank, it's not an, an area uh, that I hear out tremendously in my office. Dan Rumi, a member of parliament for Pitt Meadows Maple Ridge out in British Columbia. Previously, a lot of the complaints from British Columbians seemed to be about increased tanker traffic, about the possibility of oil spills, uh, about the government's capacity to deal with environmental issues. Is that something that you think your constituents might also be concerned with? Well, I think it's a concern for everybody. Um, you know, we live in a beautiful country. We live in the West Coast. Uh, you know, we have beautiful waters. We have uh, an amazing place that we live in. Um, but there's certain realities is we have to make sure that, that we, we, we do look at, at um, for instance, the Oceans Protections Plan. Pipeline or no pipeline, it's something that's long overdue. Are you personally worried uh, for your own re-election prospects in 2019? I got into this because I wanted to help my community. I'm a first-time politician. Uh, I campaigned on getting involved in my community, working hard, uh, keeping open dialogue, and that's what I've done. And I've worked hard. At the end of the day, I'm proud of the things that I've done for my riding, and I will continue to do those things for, for my riding and for my country. Uh, you know, there's always going to be some... Uh, political, partisan chicanery, if you want. Uh, but at the end of the day, if, if I've done my job, then I'll have a fair crack at it down in uh, 2019. And, and I fully prepare to um, not let go of my writing. Alexandra Mendez, Brossard and Lambert in Quebec, a member of parliament. And um, I don't think that I can yet say how my constituents will respond. I think this was an announcement that would surprise most of my constituents. I don't think they were expecting it. I think people have started to also listen to the arguments that we need to export this. We're still not a society, well, we're still not a world ready to do away with, with uh, uh, oil uh, in no way, shape or form. So we'll have to find alternatives and the most responsible and environmentally sustainable ones seem to be the pipelines. Hello, so I'm uh, Ramez Ayoub from uh, Thérèse de Blainville. 
It's an investment. It's a, a very big, very strong, very big investment. But at the same time, we did those kinds of investment before, and the government is, and it's pretty clear, it's not there to last very long. It's there to implement. And when the the pipeline is going to be implemented, we're going to resell it, and uh, we have the uh, some other experiences. Uh, of acquisition and we made some great money at the same time so we don't have I don't have right now I cannot say it's going to last a, a year two year three year but it's uh, in a short term of making sure that the Kinder Morgan is going to be a success and that's what we we're we're all behind it so uh, we're going to defend that uh, that decision you mean Trans Mountain well the Trans Mountain Kinder Morgan well, the Kinder Morgan transplant. I'm, I'm sure Kinder Morgan is coming out pretty good on this. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs>
coalition green government in BC. Is it their fault? Well, you can point fingers as much as you want. But when you are forced into a corner and you have no choice but to do this, that's because you failed in terms of leadership. And you should look at your own uh, decision and you, the process you, that led you to that decision. Because the political situation um, uh, was was evident for months that, that, that there, there was going to be, most likely, a government hostile to this development in British Columbia and a government of the same brand in favor of this project in Alberta. So, so the problem is that when you have a federal party, the federal liberal party, going into British Columbia during the election, saying that we, you know, we're going to give basically a, a veto to the communities for these projects because they are the one giving permission, you box yourself into a corner and you scare off the investors and you are not able to get products to market. Uh, and that's the key problem here. And, and I don't share the optimism of my friend Greg when he says it's getting built. I see no evidence of that at this point. The protesters are still there. They're not moving. Day and, and, uh, and day one, no well, evidence. But you're, you're, I see no evidence at this yeah, point. Day one. And 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 on, unless you are prepared to do like the Minister of Natural Resources, Jim Carr, said, and send in the army at huge political cost, uh, the way forward is tough. Like this is not going to be easy because the federal government suddenly is nationalizing, uh, you know, the, the pipeline. And, and believe me, as a new Democrat, nationalization uh, is not something I'm opposed I, to. Well, and Carl, well, Carl's exactly right. Like the risk, the risk is still very much there. The protests are still there. The BC government has not dropped its opposition to the pipeline or its reference to the court. Um, and so, what's happened is that that risk. No private sector company is now willing to assume that risk, and so it has been transferred to tax payers. And we are now on the hook for what looks like something north of $10 billion for this pipeline. Rachel, you're, I, I you're agree with Carl. I agree, I would agree with Carl over here. Over and over again. Joe this Oliver is nothing, did a, this is Joe, nothing no, no, to do with... This just did not start in the last two years. And if it, because you guys would have had, you would be able to point to a pipeline that is going internationally and you can't. Uh, Ten years in government Keystone and you X, didn't... Keystone X up. You didn't, you didn't get it done. Well, we, well uh, it, it, in fact, a number... No, 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 listen, this is, this is the no, liberal no, talking point. No, this is the liberal talking no, point no, that no, no pipelines were built under Stephen Harper. And that's not the case. Joe Oliver did an open letter where he called, he said environmental and other radical groups. And I... I've talked to people who worked for your government at the time. You guys loved this politically. You were picking a fight with environmentalists. But what it did was scared off. Those, those protests didn't start today. They've been going on for a long time. And I actually look at the Angus Reid polls in British Columbia where the people who actually want the pipeline, that actually is growing. I think the Liberal government could do a lot more. Uh, Don Lenahan wrote about this this week uh, on National Newswatch. I think they could do a lot more to reach out to the people of BC that actually want this to be built. But your government had a lot of fun, you know, insulting Tides Canada and all these groups, and it was politically advantageous to you, but you actually cut off your nose to spite your face in terms of getting these projects done. Yeah, that's simply untrue. It's true that the protests did not start under the Trudeau government. They existed long before that. But, um, it, you know, leadership was exercised under the Harper government to get pipelines built. At that time, the primary market Point was south, south into the U.S., uh, and a number of pipelines were built into that market. Uh, the Harper government, I should say, also approved Northern Gateway, which was subsequently cancelled by by Prime Minister Trudeau and his government. Okay, I don't want to revisit the battles of the previous government and whether or not the Tories got a pipeline built. What I really want to talk about, though, is this pipeline. Um, Rachel notes that there is a lot of 
uncertainty. The risks that existed before the government made the announcement this week still remain. Carl talked about the fact that, you know, we saw where the tea leaves were going last July uh, when the NDP and the Greens were talking. Why didn't the federal liberals do anything then? Like how, what accounts for this decision? How does this make, how does owning the pipeline actually ensure that it gets built? And could this have been avoided in any way? I mean, po- politics is always about, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty. There are lots of things that they could have done. There's lots of things that Christy Clark could have done. Uh, you know, every time I see the leader of the Green Party on national TV, I feel sorry for the BC Premier because I think the more Canadians see him, the more Canadians wonder, why are you beholden to this man? Um, you know, Carol mentioned earlier about, you know, leadership. You know, is, is Notley not an effective leader if, if she wants this as well? This is what I... No, no of I, course. I mean, there's, this is That's... so problematic on a number of fronts for different, for different political parties in terms of the history. I know you don't want to look backwards, but the history of, of the Conservative Party on this or you've got two NDP premiers back to back. What I'm hearing out of Calgary today is that uh, looking forward, that they do think that they're gonna have buyers for this, that they think it's gonna be perhaps not business as usual. You may see indigenous groups come in as co-owners. You may see some uh, investment um, associations come in as a part of this. I think the government is, is doesn't wanna be overconfident on that, but I think they've had some conversations you know whether you like this or not. What is the what is the alternative? Uh, what is your solution to making sure this pipeline is going to be built? Look, uh, Greg talked about leadership, and Rachel Notley is doing what she's been elected to do, which is to stand up for the interest of Albertans. John Organ ran on a platform that included defending the BC coast and against this pipeline, and is doing exactly that. Justin Trudeau ran on a certain set of promises, talking about all, you know changing the system under which these pipelines were supposed to be approved, but he's kept Stephen Harper's process in place. Um, he's also picking... Well, now he's changing it. He's changing it now, but, you know, he was elected a few years ago, right? Like, things... things and, and to be fair, Rachel mentioned Norton Gateway, which was dismissed for political consideration, not because of an environmental review process that was the same as in the Morgan. Energy East, different different game uh, the, the the company decided to withdraw um so 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 you have a different situation the reality is that this was the last option remaining and the prime minister waited till the last minute hoping that there will be another solution found nothing else to do but to nationalize invest 4.5 billion dollars of canadian, canadian money into this project with no guarantees now of course I hope that this will be successful, that it will be built, that they will get products to market, because as a as a shareholder now, I want to get some of that money back. <laughs> Not yet, but pro- probably in August. <laughs> yeah, look, we're, I think we're all hoping that somehow, somewhere, somehow, somewhere this thing gets sold to, you know, a private consortium or a private investor eventually, um, and that the government can recoup its money. There's no sign that anyone's stepping forward yet, but that's what we're hoping for. The bigger problem, though, um, is, is really the signal that sends internationally. So the signal we're sending in Canada uh, is that the rule of law doesn't apply, that we can spend five years reviewing a project, that it can go through the most extensive environmental review ever, um, the most extensive indigenous consultations ever, uh, that the government can ultimately sign off and approve it, and yet it still cannot be built. Um, so that's a very dangerous signal to send to investors. Why would anyone put money into Canada if they cannot rely 
uh, on our laws and on our regulatory frameworks. Yeah, so that's uh, that I think is the big, bigger policy problem that is not that is not solved. But no, uh, uh, Greg, no investor is going to say, well, I'm going to invest money into this, and hopefully the government will step in when it doesn't work and buy it from me. Like that's just I, I you so know, I, no I, one's I, actually look, going I, to I, invest I, I, in I'm, Canada, I, I, I and the the, the, the risk. Uh, well, hang on, let me finish. So so the risk profile now for investment into Canada is really high, and I think that's the bigger, broader policy problem that we're going to have to address going forward. I was with you for about three quarters of what you just said, Rachel, until you said the pipeline's not getting built. And I saw, I think it's a columnist in the Calgary Herald today that said this will send the signal that the Canadian government is going to go to great lengths to make sure this infrastructure happens. But Greg, there's, there's all kinds of ways to create jobs with $4.5 billion. Uh, you know, <laughs> if the government is just throwing money at creating jobs, there's other projects out there. Uh, I heard Nathan Cullen today in Question Period talking about uh, drinkable water for First Nations, uh, which has been estimated by the Parliamentary Budget Officer at $3.2 billion. Why not invest the money there? You'd create a lot of jobs. But it's not either or. Like, I know so it's not either or, but, but the point is... But no, but the government makes decisions. They choose priorities and in this case the priority is to build that pipeline uh, but you know you can do all kinds of different things with 4.5 billions and if you were to ask Canadians right now if that's the best choice I'm not sure that you would get a resounding yes no but this is I, I mean the other part of this is this is about uh, exports this is about international markets uh, and I think that's a big part of it that's why I think this is a little bit different um, you know we cannot count on a, on a North American market anymore we can't count on uh, dealing with the United States for a number of reasons. And I think having access to international markets is probably a big reason why the government's behind this. And that's why they're able to talk about the national interest. And it's funny you mentioned international market because the other aspect, of course, is that the international image of Justin Trudeau is taking a hit over this. Um, there are articles overseas, well, over many things, <laughs> over many things. You're right, <laughs> but 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 the fact that you know uh, when you are the poster boy for the fight against climate change and you throw 4.5 billion dollars of Canadian taxpayers' money into uh, the, the uh, into the oil sands project and this pipeline export project, uh, it's art make the case that you know Canada is back and you know uh, it's it, it has an impact let me just end this with kind of the, the general question like what political price will the liberals pay for this is this you know we heard Elizabeth May this week say the liberals are gonna be wiped out of the map completely in British Columbia is will they be punished at the polls for this decision I'm not convinced I go back to my earlier comment about following the polling in British Columbia about the amount of support for the pipeline um, there was a, uh, a poll that came out this week that shows that the, the Liberals are still strong in British Columbia. I don't think that the, the uh, that Alberta is ever going to be a bastion of Liberal strengths. And apparently people have short memories in politics, except when it comes to the National Energy Program. Um, so I, I, think, I think this was about handling a tough situation. Um, and again, we'll find out this summer. I, I find it interesting today, um, just prior to this taping, I watched, I, I believe it's the president of the Chamber of Commerce in Calgary do an interview where she talked about how people were happy with this as long as the government is not a long-term owner mm -hmm. of, this, of this pipeline. And I think that's probably a big part of this. I think politically, the government and the Liberal Party is making the calculation that they will not be hurt in British Columbia because of it. And the poll at this point 
seems to to agree with with that point of view. Uh, there is no question that if the pipeline was to be built in Quebec. Uh, and not in British Columbia, that the government might have come to a different decision. And this might explain why Energy East is nowhere on the radar anymore. Um, I think there will be a political price to be paid, though, because protests will keep growing. There will be potentially arrest. There will be unrest. Uh, there will be protests. There will be people showing up like we saw today at Bill Morneau's speech in Calgary. And those are not good image for the government. Uh, it, 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 and it, it, it depends if a political party will be able to pick up that ball and, and drive that point forward. Certainly, Jagmeet Singh and the NDP have decided to take side now. They are all in with British Columbia's government as opposed to trying to walk on the line in the middle between the Rachel fence. Nutley. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, and they've, they've decided they've decided so now we have a clear path for them and they're gonna they're gonna hammer that point and and there's one thing that is clear uh is that uh, this pipeline will not be built by october 2019 so it will be an election issue yeah you may be surprised to hear that i actually agree with my colleagues on the political impact so i think the real problem we now have in canada is this lack of investor confidence that's going to be a longer term economic issue it's not going to have an immediate term political impact I think the political impact will be limited if the Liberals can get this thing sold uh, and sold before the next election. I don't think they want to be holding on to a pipeline going into the 2019 election. Um, So, look, I think if they can sell this and not lose too much money in the process, uh, and that's a big if, frankly, because we have Bill Morneau handling the file, who has uh, <laughs> is possibly one of the weakest ministers in the Trudeau cabinet. That's saying a lot. Um, so, so if if Bill can actually, you know, pull this off, I think the political impact will be will be relatively limited. I think the majority of British Columbians do not want to be held hostage to a vocal minority, um, and so the Liberals may actually benefit from this if they can get it built and get it sold. Well, if Bill Morneau is unable to sell it for profit, it would be the first natural resources project where we don't make any money. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past good old Bill Morneau. Oh, Carl, <laughs> Rachel, Greg, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. Carl Belanger is the president of the Douglas Caldwell Foundation and a past national director of the NDP. Rachel Curran was Prime Minister Stephen Harper's director of policy. She is now an associate with Harper & Associates. Greg McEachran is a senior vice president with Proof and served as a senior advisor to several liberal cabinet ministers. The Trans Mountain Pipeline is deeply unpopular in parts of the BC Lower Mainland, but overall people there seem to be divided. An Ipsos poll this month found 55% of respondents support the project. A research co-poll conducted last week, after the Liberals had announced they were ready to use taxpayers' money to indemnify the project, but before they announced they were buying it completely, suggested that a majority of the province's residents are uncomfortable with the idea of using public money to subsidize a foreign company. 
and near majority, 49%, told pollsters they were less likely to vote for the Trudeau Liberals at the next election. And 50% said they support the province's stance that the increased tanker traffic resulting from the project will threaten the health and safety of the region's residents. The federal Liberals like to note support for the pipeline in BC, but the government there remains firmly opposed. George Heyman, uh, BC Minister of Environment and Climate Change Strategy. Minister, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Let me first begin by asking you, um, you know, the federal government, the Liberal government here in Ottawa, um, says it is being forced to buy the Trans Mountain Pipeline and the expansion project because of your government's intransigence on this file. What is your response to that? Well, my response is that I believe both the uh, Prime Minister and the Finance Minister and their government uh, know better than that. They're proceeding with uh, with a plan to uh, build a pipeline and transport this product uh, through British Columbia, across our land, across our waters, and potentially uh, risking a catastrophic spill on our coast. So what we've said is cooperative federalism gives provinces the right to pass and make regulations to protect our environment, to protect our economy, uh, to protect our, our coastline and our interests. So we've made proposals to do just that. And when Alberta and the federal government objected to one of them, we withdrew it and said, we'll refer the question to the courts to see if we have that jurisdiction. Uh, surely the federal government doesn't want provinces or Canadians to believe that if we exercise our rights to have questions and differences determined by the courts under the rule of law, that that is somehow obstructionist. That just doesn't make sense to me. Do you not think, though, that the government would not be forced to take this action were it not for the BC NDP Green government? You know, it's up to the federal government to make whatever decisions it wants about investments. The federal government is accountable to uh, Canadian taxpayers. Uh, the proponent, if it believes it has a solid project, um, would proceed if they thought uh, they could make money. The truth is there's a lot of problems facing this project uh, and the federal government, not the least of which is the challenge to the entire approval process that's currently before the federal court brought by a number of First Nations, the city of Vancouver, uh, the city of Burnaby, uh, the province of British Columbia intervened in that mm -hmm. process to add our voice. Uh, we did so because we believe that the process and the decision-making of the federal cabinet uh, didn't adequately consider BC's interests or the impacts of a heavy oil spill on our coast. But that's before the courts. And in fact, the federal court is currently deciding whether to reopen the case and hear new evidence mm -hmm. uh, based on uh, freedom of information uh, material that indicated that the federal government actually made a decision before it completed its consultations with First Nations. I think that's the greatest threat to the project. Do you think Ottawa should not have purchased it or made an offer to purchase it, hasn't actually bought it yet? You know, that's a question for the federal government and Canadians. Uh, it doesn't change anything for us. Mm -hmm. We believe we need to uh, do everything we can to protect uh, British Columbians and our economy and our coast from the eventuality of a very dangerous and catastrophic oil spill, and that if one happens, we have the knowledge in place about how to respond quickly, uh, effectively, and clean it up. Minister McKenna, the environment minister, has written to you and said... Basically, you don't need to worry. Everything is covered under our Oceans Protection Plan. Is it? 
Well, no, I would say it isn't. And and we certainly over the last months have met with uh, federal officials in her ministry on a number of times to uh, both praise what we thought was good in the plan and and point out uh, areas where we thought it needed to be improved, including marine towing capacity uh, and uh, compensatory issues. But Minister McKenna would not be spending, and Prime Minister Trudeau would not be spending $45 million to do new scientific studies if they uh, didn't believe there were questions that needed to be answered. We need to focus on British Columbia from our perspective, and I believe the federal government is taking a, a broader view. Is it your position that there should not be any new pipelines to the West Coast? Well, we have said that we thought uh, this pipeline proposal Uh, and the whole hearings that took place around it uh, were flawed. Uh, They didn't consider the the issues that should have been considered. I'm not going to pass judgment on uh, what some future proposal that might come before uh, a review panel would look like or or what decisions should be made about it. But what is clear is uh, we believe the National Energy Board review uh, was inadequate. The previous provincial government said the same thing, and I assume the federal government thought it was as well because they've they've now proposed uh, creating a whole new one that's much more stringent. Are you worried that your government's action sends a negative message perhaps to investors, especially in the resource sector, about investing in British Columbia? You know, people are investing in the in the resource sector. Uh, today in British Columbia, we have the, uh, the lowest uh, unemployment in Canada. We have a strong economy, and the Mining Journal just ranked us as the best jurisdiction in the world for investment. So it may serve the purposes of, uh, of Mr. Morneau to, uh, to fear-monger, to criticize us, to personalize this issue. Uh, but I meet with... Uh, with industry associations and business all the time to ensure that they understand fully why we're taking actions we're taking and and how we're considering uh, their interests as we do that, including uh, trying to address uh, their very legitimate con- concerns for for uh, uh, consistency, for predictability, uh, so that they can plan uh, projects with some sense of what the rules are. And uh, I have no reason to uh, to fear. Okay. Thank you very much, Minister. Lovely to speak with you. Thanks. George Heyman is British Columbia's Environment Minister. Phew! (laughs) That's our show. If you enjoyed this episode on Apple Podcast, please leave us a review there. And as always, we love to hear from you. Send us your thoughts and story ideas. You can reach me through Facebook or Twitter at Althea Raj, A-L-T-H-I-A-R-A-J is my handle. Thanks this week to our office administrator, Mahavir Singh. Also, of course, a big thank you to the wonderful team that helps me bring you this show. Producer and politics reporter, Zian Lum. Technical producer, Stephanie Werner. And executive producer, Andre Lau. I'm Althea Raj. See you in two weeks.